Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Michael, how have you been since, well, Friday, I suppose? Uh, warm and sunny. I think the having so many episodes a week really ruins the suspense of me asking you how you've been, because unless you've had a very sudden medical emergency, it's probably the same where you were a day ago. Oh, I'm... I'm like the Irish weather, Gary. I change with every half hour. My moods are myriad and various. So just one quick note before we start. We were talking the other day about uh, VRT on cars and on how the reason that cars are so expensive in Ireland in both the secondary and in the primary market is largely due to tax. In that, I had said that I had heard, but I didn't know that VRT was based on, um, well, I know it's based on the open market selling price, but that the open market selling price already includes VRT and therefore it's it's effectively twice put onto it. A listener reached out to tell me that the uh, VRT is, um, does include VAT, so there is a tax on tax, but it doesn't include the previous VRT calculation. So it is not a tax on a tax on a tax. It's merely a tax on a tax. Well, that's all right then. Yeah, so you'll be paying, you know, 37% VRT and 23% VAT. So to begin with, the nicest heave in history, Michael, or at least the most corporately prepared. <laughs> it is. It is. It is fantastic. I. It's not often you can say that you read and something from a, a political group and they're expressing a desire to do something, and you think, you know, I have never heard this before. This is completely new. This is a whole new way of doing politics. And of course, the Social Democrats would say that that is precisely what they are about. That is why they exist. That is why they came into being. This is a new way of doing politics. I don't know if that'll be much of, shall we, uh, comfort to Roisin Shortall and Catherine Murphy, but there you go. It is indeed the new story of the Social Democrats, of whom there are members of whom, at this weekend, will write to the party executive seeking a leadership contest. Um, apparently there have been a number of uh, prominent SDs who have abandoned the party. Now, I think some of those I've just been very tired because it's been a lot of work and it's been very warm lately. And then I think the general secretary left, but I think that was just one of those things. He may have had a, decided he other things to do or a better job offer or he'd done what he could do and it was time to move on. But it is said that it's not connected to this issue. However, it is decided that they are, I love this quote, I'm sure you do too, ready for a new phase of development and growth. It's very lovely. I must say. The leadership has done nothing wrong, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very important that you understand that. Of course, it does sort of undermine the call for a leadership change when most of your letter is given to talking about how the leadership is fantastic. Fantastic. And it's done such great work. Maybe don't talk about how fantastic the leadership you're trying to depose is. Let other people find reasons they're fantastic. Quote, We're not unhappy with our leaders. It's not to get rid of Catherine or, Catherine or Roisin, um, another says. It's not negative in any way, shape or form. Our leaders have done an amazing job. Now, Gary, I, could, I think that if you had another political party where everybody in the membership believed that the leader of the political party was doing an amazing job, it would be regarded as being an act of criminal stupidity to get rid of them. Because... There are very, very few leaders of our political parties who have ever been believed to be doing an amazing job. However, they've got not one leader, Gary, but two leaders, both of whom are doing an amazing job. And yet, Gary, they want to get rid of them. 
There's something strange happening in the Social Democrats. Even though, Michael, the letter also says that the leadership has done exceptional work in attracting some of the most talented people from Irish civic society. And, you know, I do have to appreciate that they acknowledge that the Social Democrats are basically just an NGO. Once upon a time, instead of forming the Social Democrats, <coughs> they would have set up a club. You know, like you know, the Liberal the Liberal Party had the Liberal Club, the Tories, the Tory Club. The Garrick was set up as a place for actors to go. The Athenaeum was for academics. And different people with different interests would form what were actually, of course, at the time, gentlemen's clubs. Now, many of them take ladies. That's great. But in another time, I think people would set a, a club and they would have been, I don't know, the Redmond Club or the Parnell Club. And now all the people from all the NGOs would have gone there and sat around and drunk coffee and had dinner and brandies and had a lovely time. But nowadays you don't do that. You have a political party instead. <clears throat> you can all get together and organise, well, lots of things. If you're Generally speaking, Gary, when three people from three different NGOs get together, you can be only certain of one thing. Sooner or later... The tax, some taxpayer is going to get screwed. But the, the, the tone of the call for the leadership to be replaced is sort of apologetic. So we're terribly sorry to put this knife into you, but if you would just say it's for the best, we'd feel a lot better about it. It's also hard to quite parse the underlying desire. Is it because they want to get rid of Roshin and Catherine? Or is it because they just have the feeling that having two leaders just makes them look a little bit odd or it's maybe just a little bit ineffective and they need a single voice to look more convincing um what was the quote to make we believe that the membership of the social democrats represent a new wave in irish politics begin to waves these days aren't we love a wave it's a new wave in irish politics to make that reality we need to be bold and we need to be strong with united voice. Now, do you think the implication there is that the voice is on at the moment, not united? Is that because it's stereo or because they're saying slightly different things? Maybe it's because they want to bring Stephen Donnelly back. Well, who wouldn't, Gary? Social Democrats themselves have released a statement saying that they are united behind co-leaders Catherine Murphy and Roshan Shortall, and that they are hugely ambitious for the party and building a strong social democratic alternative in Ireland. I don't really see the point of a leadership change in the Social Democrats, because I'm not sure what policies the Social Democrats actually have. They've more, they've less policies and more a general sense of being lovely. Well, it's, it's social democracy, Gary. I mean, the, it's in the name. I mean, if you haven't been paying attention, it's not hardly their fault. They want to build an alternative, a social democratic alternative. Because, you see, the problem is, Gary, okay, you've got Fine Gael with the Fine Gael social, democ social democracy, and the Labour Party, which is... Uh, Labour social democracy, and then you have the Greens who offer a form of eco-social democracy. But that's not what the SD, the SD are about. That's not the sort no. They're about an alternative social democracy. Or it's a, no, that's wrong. It's a social democratic alternative. So, you know, you have to, you have to be paying attention. You can't be going on, the, on podcasts and talking politics if you don't know about this kind of stuff. They are social democrats, but fundamentally different to the Social Democrats you find in the Labour Party and the Green Party and Fine Gael and on the left wing of Fianna Fáil and the right wing of Sinn Féin, you know? So we, we, I mean, we desperately need this alternative. So the Social Democrats are Social Democrats on the same basis that Labour is a working class party. 
Ah, no, 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 no. I mean, there may well be Social Democrats in the Social Democratic Party. Workers in the Labour Party are much, much scarcer. No, no, I mean, wouldn't, that's not fair now, Gary. That kind of, that's... You haven't mentioned, Gary, who the leadership contenders might be. Mr. Gannon, you know Mr. Gannon? I am familiar with him. Mr. Gannon, okay, that's... Uh, that's uh, uh, but here's, you like this, Gary, Holly Cairns. Why not? Uh, why not, Gary? How long do you have? Well, we're going to run this to at least half an hour, so probably about 20 minutes. I think it would add enormously to the gaiety of nations and to the fun and frolics of reporting on Irish politics if Holly Cairns was leader of the Social Democrats, or indeed leader of any political party in Dáil Éireann. And the prospect, say after the next election, maybe, who knows, the Social Democrats may keep all their seats, they may get more seats. Yeah, I'm doubtful, but there you go. If they do, and Holly Cairns is there in the doll as the leader and is a constituent membership, a constituent member of the next coalition government, wouldn't that be fantastic? I just think that would be really wonderful. I think it would be a gift that would just keep giving and giving. And I think, therefore, we should all row in behind Holly and encourage, first of all, the social governments to have an election because clearly while Catherine and Roisin are doing a fantastic job you know Gary sometimes people they will work themselves to a bone they will put themselves to the point of burnout and exhaustion just to keep helping because they're giving they're givers Gary that's what they do they give but sometimes you can give too much so sometimes it's people have to come in and say no we're going to take this away this burden because otherwise you're going to burn out. Give it to Holly and let's all sit back and enjoy it. I think it'll be fantastic. I look forward to it. I might join if I, so I can get to vote. Oh, that's a good thing, actually. I wonder what the rules are on that. Um, your talk about burning out just reminds me of this. Are you familiar with demotivational posters? I'm <laughs> I have friends on Twitter who do that all the time. They post and demotivate people. But all the, I don't know that's. I don't think that's what you're talking about. No, they're satirical item based on the tendency of companies to put motivational posters all over the place, particularly American companies. But there's one of them that says retirement, because you've given so much of yourself to the company that you don't have anything left we can use. <laughs> yeah, that's good. My personal favourite is uh, the march for quality has no end, which technically means it's a debt march. <laughs> I do like, I will say, I, I do like the picture that the Irish Times has gone with to highlight this story. It's uh, Roisin and Catherine in the front, and then just sitting behind them in the corner, staring at them, Gary Gannon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of subtext to it. I actually quite like the independence, because there's something... <laughs> I, I think there's an element of comedy to it. There's a picture of a, of a lady, and the caption, and the lady's just looking straight. It's, I imagine, a, a, a shot done for a poster or for a leaflet and the lady's called Cat O'Driscoll and underneath the caption simply says Cat O'Driscoll wants debate <laughs> I don't know there's some kind of data about that is there Cat O'Driscoll wants debate because <laughs> that's what the social democrats want they're all about debate Gary you have to debate things get things out in the open and debate them and Cat O'Driscoll wants debate and staying out of government I do think staying out of government, I think the next time, if they're given the chance, would they go in with Sinn Féin? Or would they go... <laughs> Imagine a government which had both Labour and the Social Democrats in it. It would be very confusing for everybody else, wouldn't it? 
be like, you know. No, you just do what you do with um, people before profit, where it's technically solidarity dash people before profit. We can just go labor dash social democrats, or social democrats dash labor, as it may be at that point. Or you could be, how about labor and, I can't believe it's not labor. Mm. <laughs> it's the alternative non-dairy spread of politics. Yeah, so we'll, we'll look forward to see where that goes. Most likely nowhere. Well, if they get in the government and they screw you as much as they'd like tax-wise, both at a level, at government level and NGO level, you may find it'll do some impacting, but basically no. What I did like about the whole statement that we want to heave is that, one, it's so complimentary towards the leaders. Two, there's no political reasoning in it at all as to why this should be done. And three, because the overall just feeling of the thing is akin to what you would get in, like, a KPMG diversity brochure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. If this is, the, they've bought in, they've got a consultant in, and they said, you know, all your upper management, your senior managers are doing a fantastic job. But in this kind of business, you just have to keep turning over. You have to, you know, we have to energize, diversify. We have to... Synergize. Synergize. Keep in the zeitgeist, and most of all, Gary, be proactive. Think outside the box. Oh, yeah, get rid of the box. Throw it up the flagpole, see who salutes. Mm. Anyway, the Social Democrats have decided to engage in some blue sky thinking as to their leadership. In order to meet proactively and dynamically the basic needs of their customer base. So that they can become change agents. I think that horse not only is dead and beaten, we're starting, we're getting the, it's not even tenderized, it'll be minced shortly. There was yesterday a protest in Dublin. What exactly that protest was rather depends on which newspapers you were reading. However, I will give some credit. I saw no one describe it as a far-right protest this time, although I haven't looked at the examiner. You said it depends on the newspaper, but the thing is, Gary, if you read the Rice newspaper, you get the kind of variety that you don't have to read different newspapers. In The Independent, it is a month place described as an anti-COVID passport protest or, or an anti-vax passport protest. In another headline, it's described as crowds gather for anti-vaccine process. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm just looking at the examiner now. Um, and the examiner's title is Far-right protesters declare war on vaccines and COVID restrictions. So everyone but the examiner managed to avoid calling it far-right. Although, as Michael, you pointed out, what exactly the protest was did seem to change. Some were anti-vaccine, some were anti-vaccine uh, passports, some anti-COVID. Not really sure what that means. Yeah, that I, I saw a number of people do anti-COVID protests. I think we're all... Anti-COVID, aren't we? I mean, we're all pretty well agreed on that. There may be some people in the Chinese military scientific establishment that are ambivalent, but I think pretty well most of us are, are anti-COVID. But yes, it's it's a bit of a movable feast. Anti-vaccine, anti-vaxxers, anti-compulsory vaccination. Anti-vaccination full stop. I mean, not just COVID, but all vaccinations. RTE and the Irish Times just said that this was these were protests against the vaccine passport systems. Other newspapers took a bit more of a wide-ranging tone. And what I have noticed, Michael, is um, the headlines on a lot of these stories online, when you when they first put up these stories, are not the headlines they currently have. No, they evolve, Gary. They evolve, Like all of us, they evolve. 
Yeah, there seemed to have been a lot of... Originally, they were saying that this protest was against vaccination. And then everyone just sort of slinked away. And then suddenly they were against, um, against you know, the COVID passport or restrictions, but not against vaccines. Seems like an odd thing. Like, if you're reporting a protest, you would think you'd be able to say conclusively what that protest was about the first time. Well, no, I... We can try and be fair. I mean, every so often. I'm not sure that were I to be at that protest, it is necessarily the case that I would be 100% sure um, straight off what the principal protest was. Or not the principal protest, maybe. Because I think the principal protest was on the face of it. Uh, and the restrictions are the, specifically the COVID passports. But I suspect there were a lot of people there who had a number of different issues, shall we say possibly even personalities, that they were manifesting their concern about a range of issues. But yes, on the face of it, it was supposed to be about passports, and that seemed to be something they, they had difficulty. They also had to, there was, shall we say, there was a, a variety of opinion about numbers as well. Well, that's the standard. If it's a protest you like, the numbers are always massive, and if it's a protest you don't like, the numbers are always minuscule. I saw numbers on one end ranging from seven or 800 up to 1,500 in the more respectable outlets. And I saw some photographs. And I know it's very difficult. Uh, we, we've had this discussion before on previous uh, experiences of larger protests. But there was no way there was only 1,500 at this. Other people have said 10,000. That, I don't know. I, I But it seems... It's just... A, I know it's not a big deal, but it's one of those things that annoys me, because you look at the numbers, you look at the you look at the crowds, you try and do an estimate. You don't like the people, or you don't like what it is that they're protesting, so you deliberately lower the number. You can only do that consciously, Gary. That has to be done deliberately. Does that not rankle with people? who write in newspapers and put down on the forums when they have to fill them in for occupation journalist or reporter, that you're engaged in a conscious, deliberate act of deception. doesn't bother you. If I went, if there's a protest tomorrow and for something absolutely offensive to me, but I went there and I looked at that, God, on a rough count, there must be at least 20,000 people here. And other people, I oh, know there are six or 7,000. I would still say, yeah, no, no there was 20,000 people. I mean, what does it change, realistically? What does it change between saying 1,500 or 3,000 or 5,000? It doesn't change anything. Except you have done your job. It is very, very difficult to actually count the size of crowds. And humans are horrendously bad at it. So most people try and eyeball these things. But it's very hard to actually tell what a crowd looks like. And there are different ways of doing it. Like you can, if they're marching, you can count for a certain time. And then you uh, put that across the length of the march, stuff like that. But a lot of the time, what happens here is you just kind of guess. And then reporters talk to each other. And people just kind of go, yeah, that sounds reasonable. Now, sometimes, yes, there is a deliberate lowering of numbers. Or you'll have many possible options. And you'll just pick the lowest. But a lot of the time, it's just that it's very difficult to actually do this. And people kind of chat to each other. I don't think you should overstate 
how do it is difficult yes that is true but it's difficult within a certain tolerance i think that if you have a if you have a protest uh, and it's, well, i don't want to get bogged down in this but you have a protest and you say that uh, there were a thousand people at it and in fact there were five thousand people at it I don't think it's that difficult that you're going to get it wrong, that you're going to estimate the numbers by a fifth. Back in the day when we were trying to estimate numbers for large protests in Dublin, we had uh, a gentleman who was very expert in estimating numbers of people in, in, in spaces because of research he'd done into the battle plans of Hannibal. I, I don't know how that transferred, but apparently that transferred. And he was apparently remarkably good. People who later on spent long, long times using photographs and computer things said that he was remarkable. That's one thing. But there is a t within that, there's a certain tolerance that you can say, okay, we have a certain space. You can make it. Or don't. Just say a large protest. Police. Or get the cops. Well, the, the cops don't have stopped doing that, haven't they? The police won't. The guards used to give estimates. But now they've stopped doing that because the whole thing has become so politicized. Yeah, I, however, I will point out that nearly all of the news coverage of this has said there were 1,500 people. News talk has said there were 2,000. If the guards didn't give that number, that's a remarkable convergence. Because we've, like, we've sent, we've sent two or three people to the same protest a couple of times, and they get back and you ask them how many people were there. The chance of you getting exactly the same number? Very small. Particularly when you go over a thousand, then it starts getting more and more complicated. And when you start getting to like five, ten thousand, very hard to work that out if you don't have some system in place. Anyway, they were out and they were protesting and they were protesting principally passports and but other stuff as well. These protests are still illegal under um, the existing law. I find the, pro the passport, um, the COVID passport protests sort of perplexing for this reason. We basically put the country under house arrest for quite an extended period of time. And there were many, many restrictions upon civil liberties due to that. And lots of people just went, okay. And then this comes out. And yes, there are, there's a potential for breach of civil liberties here as well, depending on implementation, what it relates to and, and how far they go with it. But I, I was quite surprised when these protests started happening because you sort of go, well, if people have accepted the current level of curtailment, why is this worse? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, in other countries, you saw continuous protests against, like, sizable protests against the lockdown restrictions, and then they carried over to this. And that, I think, seems pretty reasonable, because you already have people out in the street, they're already involved, and they've already displayed opposition to it. But in Ireland, we seem to have gone, like, no, that's fine, but this is a problem. Yeah. I Well, I suppose the response that might come would be twofold. First of all... We've now reached a point where a lot of people, or a substantial number of people anyway, are sick and tired and fed up and have had enough and this far, but no further and enough already on one hand. So <clears throat> previously that wasn't the case. There was a greater sense of solidarity. People thought, well, you know, it's dangerous. We hadn't been vaccinated. It was a different situation. The other thing is, and I think for the people that I know who are, shall we say, hostile or even suspicious of this is the belief that what we're essentially doing is introducing a form of identity card now there are people who say well it's a, an apartheid system and it's just yeah you know what I, I i find that less convincing because 
people discriminate all the time, and particularly the kind of people that I'm talking about who would be sort of more liberal, libertarian types of people. Well, you know, these are private businesses who can choose to open or close. These are the licensing agreements which they on which they have to operate. So they can either they don't have to they don't have to open if they don't want to. But this is they're being licensed on this basis, and you know. Why should we say, well, we can't open until everybody can go out? That seems to be to be mean to the people, both who are vaccinated and could go out, and to the the businesses that might want their business. But some in an act of solidarity, we should all wait until everybody can go out for it to be safe. I have no particular point, but there is a concern that once you do this and you that somehow this passport, this vaccine passport will morph or transform or evolve into some kind of identity card. Gary, I'm not sure on the details of this. I have asked because the people who who are concerned that it will do so seems to me haven't quite worked out the details of how it will happen, but they know that there's bad stuff happening. They know that the people involved in this are the politicians and they are bad actors. And that if they have the chance to do something bad to us in this way, they will do it. And we shouldn't give them the opportunity. No, it's like the, the not my president hashtag. And I get that it's meant to signal disapproval of Higgins not forwarding uh, bills to the Supreme Court to check their constitutionality. But on the other hand, you know, in a democracy, people get what they deserve. And he is absolutely the president. And I'm not sure this sort of, you know, not my president show of of anger with him achieves anything. Well, I, I tell you what it does. It makes you exactly the same person as the kind of people that used to use that tweet about Trump in the United States. And if you're happy to be just another anti-Trumper, shall we say, spiritually, well then fine, rock ahead. But if you find the notion of, and a lot of these people I suspect would have not considered themselves in any way, shape or form anti-Trump, then you may think about what you're doing. It's oh, it's a tedious thing. God knows, Gary, I'm sure people are aware. I am not a fan of Minnie Mao. I, um, I find his poetry difficult to listen to. I find his politics execrable. Everything. Up, and, but he's the president. We have a set of rules. We play a game here called politics. We play a game called democratic republican politics. And he won the game. The rules were clear. And he, at the end of the day, he had scored more goals. And he gets to be president. He is your president. Well, if you're an Irish citizen, he is your president. Suck it up. You can and come up with a different hashtag. Christ almighty. Is it that hard to come up with a ta- hashtag? You have to recycle a hashtag from 2016 from the United States? I don't mean, if we're wrong, maybe democracy is wrong. Well, no. That's not a thread we need to be pulling at. <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing about you know, is democracy actually the best way mm, I don't think no that's uh, let's not go down there do too many people have the right to vote okay we'll concede that because that's obviously true taking away some of those people's right to vote would in fact be a net benefit to them because then they wouldn't have to worry about it wouldn't have to worry and you know they're not going to use it anyway no they're not and I think for a, I think a, a gentle start would be say to raise the voting age to 21 yeah, and then, you know, if it ends up getting to, you know, people over a certain age who own property, that's, you know, just another step in the way. 
you know, if it, that's if that's what the people vote for, Gary, if that's what the democratic will is, it's just it, Switzerland is a very successful country, and it works in Switzerland, it works in the Channel Islands, it works in Singapore. There are lots of places, Gary. It works very, very, very well indeed. Michael, from things that are being reported to things that are being reported, but it's being reported that they're not being reported. Yes, it is the stupidest headline in the papers this week. And tell the people what the newspaper says. So this is from Colin Murphy in in the Irish Independent. And it's titled, Climate change is the elephant in the room the media choose to overlook. Global warming is the story of our time. So why is news coverage always so scant here? Now, Michael, that came as news to me because I had, you know, I've been to a couple of different countries. I'm familiar with news coverage in many of those countries. And I never thought to myself, God, what you don't hear about in Ireland is climate change. Yeah, that's the big thing. Nobody ever talks about climate change. Um, we had, what was it, the discussion? I can't remember the detail of it now. But a reason, was it, one of the reasons Michal Martin couldn't be changed as leader, wasn't that climate change? So that was, that was one thing. I think that was McGrath. I think that was, yes, it was Michal McGrath. Um, I don't know if you were in the same country as me, Gary, but I, I, I saw reports in my media and on my television about that the, it rained in Germany and that was caused by climate change. I've been hearing reports about it not raining in Ireland and that's caused by climate change. I'm hearing reports on my television about the weather in North America, which has been caused by climate change. I'm being told about something to do with the sea and we should save up because it's going to get colder, even though it's going to get hotter. And that's In what fucking universe is the press and the media in this country not talking about climate change? Because I want to go to that universe. I want to be there. What is nonsense is this? Is he asleep? Is he drunk? Is he high? One of the th- reasons I thought it was particularly interesting, just off the, the back of it, is that um, I think it was myself and Ben Scallon, in March, pointed out that uh, Orti is the only Irish member of a group called Covering Climate Now, which is a left-wing climate activism group, which explicitly aims to transform the media. And it does things like it um, provides pre-approved lists of experts you can talk to about climate change. It offers training for journalists in how to properly represent climate change. One of its big things is to bring climate into every story, to always have an aspect related to climate change, whether it is political, economic, industrial, or social news. And this was interesting because a couple of the big media sources, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, refused because this is obviously an activist organization. Now, it itself denies it is. I I went through a great deal of their training material. There is no doubt at all. It's activist and it's advocacy. And by the way, that's not something a publicly funded, license fee funded, national public broadcaster should be engaged in. No, so we we pointed out that that was uh, a bit odd. However, it's been a point of pride for RTE that they are involved with this group and that they cover climate change in this way. I mean, one of the other things that this group does say is that they're very big on, you know, there's not two sides to a fact, Michael. Is there a lie? Media has been held back by the false idea of balance. Now, whatever you think about climate change and whatever you think about what the policy to deal with climate change should be, which I actually think is the far more important question. Yes. When people start saying things like there's not two sides to this and there's a false idea of balance, 
and pre-approving lists of experts who you know what they're going to say, and also start writing things like you should not critique or overanalyze groups which are dedicated to the proper course of action, Michael. It explicitly recommends that you don't, let's say, mock Extinction Rebellion for gluing themselves to something stupid, but that you absolutely attack those who would be on the opposing side. Effectively, it says that you provide support to environmental organizations, even when those environmental organizations are doing stupid or unproductive things. That seems a bit concerning, but it also doesn't seem like the sort of thing that would happen in a country that doesn't report on climate change. It seems at the point where a state broadcaster is comfortable doing that, culture in the media towards the reporting of climate change must be very, very accepting. Agricultural reporting in the country now is half the time any farming news or farming commentary is about climate change. Our housing policy is half the time. Is, and certainly the regulations about building are, are, will come around to a story about housing, climate change. Our budget, I mean, the, the whole of the, the budget, the, 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 the transport policy, the, the planning policies, the, the, the legislation regarding expiration or not expiration, our whole energy system crisis, every other story is in some sense connected to climate change and comes up. I, there is another story. We don't have to talk about this particular, but it, it, it's like Gary, there's a certain kind of story that, that just writes itself. And if you, if you say something blatantly and ridiculously, but confidently enough, then people react to it as if it's somehow true and think they must have missed something. There is in The Independent also a story by Liz Curley, the headline of which is, we're fat and getting fatter. No one wants to talk about it. In this particular case, the elephant in the room is the elephant in the room. And speaking as a fat man who is getting fatter, well, maybe not getting fatter at the moment, actually. A lot of fruit, a lot of salad happening these days. It's bullshit, Gary. I mean, we you must have noticed, I certainly have, stories about childhood, the crisis in childhood obesity, obesity in young women, obesity in the crisis with poor people, Ireland and its dreadful diet, obesity in COVID. In fact, you were talking about it only the other day. COVID kills fat people. What do we do? Taxes on sugar, taxes on fat. No chippers near schools. We need to teach people how to eat. We're fat and getting fatter, but no one wants to talk about it. Gary, it seems to me plenty of people want to talk about it. Plenty of people want to, many of them make a very good living out of talking about it or providing alternatives for fat people to go on diets with, which will just make them fatter. But it's, it's the same as the story you read. You read that headline and you think, oh, I had thought we were talking about it. But we mustn't be talking about it because there's a headline in the newspaper which says we're not. There's an elephant in the room and it's, the, and it's climate change. Why are we not? I think that if there is an elephant, we're not talking about it in the context of climate change. The only way to change that will be mean that literally half of the time we have any form of communication, it will be about climate change. But maybe, Gary, that's what he wants. Maybe that's the target. I mean, I feel that's something that this podcast could aspire to. I just don't think they'd like the outcome. No, no, I think... Just 20 minutes every podcast about nuclear power. (laughs) Mostly consisting of, have you built the reactor yet? Why haven't you built the reactor yet? Don't listen to them, they're crazy. 
These are people who say things like the problem with nuclear energy is that it just provides clean energy and doesn't solve social issues. They're nutters. My wife says to me, where's the nuclear plant? I go home. What about the nuclear energy? Where's the nuclear energy? Have you got the nuclear energy? Yes, that would be fun. Well, we could we could change it up sometimes. I mean, there's the uh, fracking. Because remember, <laughs> remember, Donald Trump takes his name off the, the Paris Accord. And the United States is the only developed country that actually meets and surpasses the target set within the prime, uh, the Paris Climate Accord for reduction in emissions. And how did it do it? Because it transferred from coal, 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 coal power to natural gas because it started fracking. But of course, we can't frack, even though. You, you remember we were told some years ago, but nobody talks about that anymore, that if we fracked, there's enough gas in Leitrim to run the country. No, I have nothing against Leitrim. Carrick and Shell, a very pretty place. Very nice place, Leitrim. Manor Hamilton, a pretty little place. But, you know, Gary, enough gas to run the country. It's worth considering. But fracking is very bad, because I saw a documentary made by Michael Moore, and Michael Moore never lies. Stories like this, where you you present something as being unreported on, when it's clearly reported on at incredible length and at incredible depth, I think the the impact of that is to convince people, just members of the public, that something is not being reported on, and therefore, however bad you think it is, it must be so much worse. Because what aren't they telling you? Are I uh, just throwing this out there? Putting up on the, I'm putting it on the stoop, see if the cat licks it up. How about, I'm a journalist, I have to give my editor 1,700 words for Sunday. I have no fucking clue what to write. But I have this article I wrote before about climate change. How about I do the green eco-friendly thing and I recycle it and give it the title? We're not talking about climate change, so let's talk about climate change. Here's an article, 1,700 words. How about that, Mr. Editor? Is that possible? I mean, it's cynical, Michael. No, why Why do you hurt me? Why do you do that? Why? Cynical? Me? No. Honestly, Gary, a little bit more care with your language. Your language can be violence. That can be very hurtful. I mean, that moves articles in the media, Michael, from some sort of examination of the truth of reality and of human existence to something produced because someone was under a deadline and needed to produce something. He has to feed his children. He may have children. Even climate journalists sometimes have children. Not many. Probably only one. Yeah, but those people are hypocrites. He has to buy porridge. Even And have you seen the state of food inflation these days? Food prices increasing? Inflation is on the way back, Gary. It's like flares and bell bottoms and Dr. Martin Boots. And inflation is coming back like the 70s. You heard it here first. We're talking about climate change, Gary, but at the moment what we're experiencing is they've got weather. And we're experiencing some very good weather. So my suggestion is that we draw a, a veil over the climate and let the people out into the weather. Because, Gary, the weather won't last. The climate will, but the, the weather won't last. I think Just on the, the point you made about weather... It's a note I have made that weather is not climate. Individual weather circumstances are not climate. But that appears to only be true in certain circumstances. Because if you were to say to someone, it's a lovely mild day, not extreme in any way, 
what's this I hear about global warming? They'll tell you that's ridiculous and that climate is not weather. Climate is a very complex thing. Very, very complex. A day where the weather is a bit extreme. Suddenly there are people saying, well, look at this. This is an example of global warming. And that does seem to only go in one direction. Uh, it doesn't matter what the weather is. Like, do you remember during the the year earlier in the year, we had a polar vortex which went down to Texas. And it got very cold in Texas and snowed. And everybody said, look, that's global warming for you. To which the Texan says, it doesn't fucking feel warming. Normally, it will be warmer than the global warming has made it. Now we have super hot experiences in Portland and in Seattle and places up in the Northeast, and it's global warming. When everybody actually sensible knows it's God's judgment on them being horrible communists and witches and pagans. So he's visited a plague upon them. And that's science, scary. It got very hot there and they said climate. And we said, no, no, not climate change. Science. So it got cold in Texas. That was climate change and hot in Washington. And that was climate change. And you said, well, you know, maybe it's just weather. Maybe it's climate change. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just weather. Do you, I, I thought, and it was, there was a bizarre thing. Do you remember that horrible tsunami? that happened in the uh, the Indian Ocean some years ago. A lot of people, a lot of lives were lost. It was a terrible tragedy. I was watching the coverage. And it's hard to explain, but they had a lot of commentators on And you could see, in the context of the way they were talking about it, they were centimetres away, centimetres away from blaming it on climate change. And I think eventually... In one of the later night things, one of the sort of less bright, actually not a commentator, but maybe a, a person from the uh, the entertainment business, a movie actor type person, actually ended up basically saying climate change. And you think, and you knew that they'd been told whatever you don't say because it's a seismic thing, and how the hell climate change would affect seismic activity on the seabed, we don't know. But this is where people have got the Icelandic the eruptions. I would I know there was a magazine I read it was called which is connected with a Christian theological movement called creationism uh which said that uh the there were volcanic uh, disturbances were caused because Gaia and the mother was expressing her discontent with uh her children people and how they were treating the rest of our brother sister organisms. Well, I mean, that's an innovative new approach. Well, it's probably science too. Anyway. Did you respond to that by telling them that they had no, it was in fact happening because they had failed to tithe to Poseidon? No, I was practical and helpful, I believe, Gary. I suggested that they offer themselves as a human sacrifice to in, uh, Mauna, in Mauna Loa or Mauna Kea, the volcano in Hawaii, uh, which historically had been the site well, they would bring people up and throw them into the volcano. There was a documentary about it uh, made by Tom Hanks called Joe versus the Volcano, I think. You know, I, I I do know a couple of people and I've met them repeatedly. And anytime it's, they start talking about environmentalism, they start saying that there's too many people. But Michael, I can't feel that there is a deep hypocrisy there because I've met them multiple times. And they're still here. And they're still here. I, I really feel if you think there are too many people, 
You know, start with yourself. Be be an example for the kids. Get out there. Be a hero. Because you know, if it's if the world is that miserable, I mean, why are you losing anyway? Yeah, you just you know, it's too many people. We're destroying the planet. But it's always other people that there are too many of. P.J. O'Rourke makes this point in one of those wonderful books of his. I think you know, Holidays from Hell, where he goes on to a series of places where he wouldn't perhaps go on holidays. And one time he goes to Bangladesh. It's very funny. And he talks about this. He said, you, you've ever talked to liberals about uh, the third world particularly. One thing you can't help but notice. And he said, it's very vivid in a country like Bangladesh, which is just teeming, seething with humanity, that they have this visceral reaction to the idea of humanity. Oh, God, oh, all of them. Oh, all the dirty, smelly people. Oh. They don't like all those other people. I mean, I've had a couple of conversations with people who are like that. And when they're describing how there are too many people kind of comes across as there are too many people in those faraway places where people may have very particular skin tones and cultures and you'd get this immediate sense of hmm i have a feeling that if you were not where you are politically a lot of people would be calling you a raging racist well you know what there is a very strong history within the ecological environmental movement in in Europe, which is not, shall we say, of the left. People who like things to be kept clean and pristine, who like, we're very fond of forests, and like making mountain films, Gary, big into the environment. Some of the most advanced progressive environmental laws were introduced uh, in Germany um, after the Weimar Republic. So anyway, we will leave it with that. We will be back on Wednesday. We will, PGDV. Until then, enjoy the weather while it lasts, because with climate change, it may be snowing next week. All the best.